0: Hey, what's up? It's Tuesday. The Ryan Rosillo Podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Like the Suns going into Utah last night and smashing the Jazz. And it wasn't even like a great Devin Booker game. It was a Rubio revenge game. I don't even know if you do a podium game for that one, but it was uh, was great for the Suns. And that's what you always try to do, right? because really you're looking at it through okay the sun's no longer a contender they're not part of the western conference storyline so whenever you feel slighted about your team not being talked about there's usually a very simple answer it has nothing to do with geography It has nothing to do with the culture it has nothing to do with what your people are like it has everything to do with did you lose to a team that has expectations and the jazz have expectations i'm so worried i'm headed to salt lake tomorrow seriously <laughs> that's a true story um so that was an unpredictable Phoenix win in Utah when you expected Utah to kind of come back. I do love when Utah loses. We did this with Bill, but when they lost uh, the game prior to that, I was like, well, hey, that was a back-to-back. You know, like They just had a week off. No one, like some of you are so soft that you think no one can ever compete or win on the second of a back-to-back. So speaking of people that aren't soft, State Farm isn't soft because they get your back like a spot from behind. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Today's plan, Cliff Kingsbury, the first year head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Not a great record, but actually a great story. Uh, Fired from his alma mater, Texas Tech. I've been to Lubbock once and looked like he was headed to USC to be the OC. And then he ended up being a head coach for the Arizona Cardinals. So we're going to do that. And then after that, we are going to do a bunch of NBA things that I wrote down. And I'm not, I've had better rants. So I don't even know if this is really much of a rant. And it's a little bit about Brooke Lopez. And the dirty little secret is that this rant is the Brooke Lopez stuff. It's not even a Brooke Lopez rant anymore because I had to dial it back a little. The Brooke Lopez theory, the premise is still accurate. It's just that he's not playing as well as I would need him to be for this thing to really hammer home. But I'm not doing the, hey, I wrote it down, so now it has to be a segment thing because I stopped doing that, you know, once you get to a certain level. Um, because when you're younger, you're like, well, of course I'm doing this segment. I prepped it. I'm like, yeah, that segment kind of sucks. You're like, eh. Yeah, but I wrote a bunch of stuff down. I have to do it. Like, yeah, but it's not good. It's not a good segment. Yeah, but I, look, at, look at all my notes. My, one of my all-time favorites working with a talk show host that always seemed to find a way to pretend. He was too, I read something he'd said in an interview. I'm not going to say his name. But he was like, yeah, you know, a guy, some of you probably never heard of him, but his name was Ryan Rossillo. He helped me out. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And at that point, I had been with Scott for like six years. So I read that and was like, that's actually a diss. That was not a compliment, even though um, I did help the person out quite a bit. So uh, you're welcome. Shouts to that guy. But he was doing a segment where it was all based on a quote that he had heard and I was listening to him pitch the segment to his producer before his show got started. And again, this is a long time ago and he was going through, he was going through it. I was like, Hey, did you hear the rest of the presser? I go, that's, that's the opposite of what that guy was saying in the press conference. You're you're listening to that very simple cut. And a lot of us make this mistake. There's been times where I've seen a headline or I've seen a cut, like how does that guy say that? And then I'll be like, go check the entire thing and see what happens. And more easily more than half the time, when you get the full scope of it, you go, Oh, okay. Well, now I get why he was saying that and I shouldn't be this upset. Nobody should be this upset. And so I wasn't like doing the, hey, I'm older or I've been here longer. Like your segment sucks idea. It was straight up like, hey, if you do that, just so you know, you're missing the entire point of, of what that quote actually was. And the guy just looked at me and shrugged. And was like, "Meh. it's a good quote though. So I'm just going to do it. I was like, all right, cool. All right. Before we get to Cliff Kingsbury and some amazing NBA, I don't even know what we'll call this one, Kyle. NBA tidbits. I'm writing it down. Does that sound? Uh, it's going right in the yeah. description. <laughs> no, don't put tidbits. I feel like that doesn't get used enough. Or maybe it's used properly because it's not that great. All right. Uh, get to the interview. Anyway, remember how things worked before social media? Oh, I saw this ad recently on TV. This is a good ad. Once upon a time, liking something a friend shared meant you were having an actual conversation. Now our social lives have become superficial popularity contests for fake internet points. Whoa. Hitting home, huh? We leave likes and comments, but how often do we put the phone down and just hang out? Luckily, there's still Miller time. It's the original social media. Before smartphones complicated things, there was Miller time. There's nothing pretentious about it, just a few friends connecting over the original light beer. So next time you're hanging out, why not share a few Miller Lights? When I get together with all my friends, the first thing they say is phones in a hat, Miller Lights on the table. <laughs> when there's a great tasting 96 calorie Miller Light, friends should always come before followers. Here's the original Light beer. Here's to the original social media. It's Miller time. Celebrate responsibly, Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. For twelve ounces, I could see you being a Miller Lite guy, Kyle, or at least now. I mean, you can't oh, yeah. really say no because we just read the ad. So, of course not. Uh, I got in trouble in middle school for wearing one of those shirts. Didn't even really what? know why. The gray great tasteless less be- filling. Yeah, it was Miller Lite shirt. I think it said Miller Time, but I got in trouble because I was like twelve. <laughs> I love. Uh, I-, I love just dudes that were twelve and didn't care because. <laughs> Were you were you like a bully at twelve, Kyle? No, nah, I was like a wrong place, wrong time type of guy. You know. Were you tough though, compared to the other twelve-year-olds? I don't know. I'd say I'd say about as the median. You know. I don't think you. I, Nobody. Were you always this big? Like you're a decent sized guy. Yeah, I was, I could I was see pretty tall. You, I could see you getting in a few fights um, and winning outside of Cumberland Farms or something. <laughs> Cumbies, yeah, man. Cumbies, yeah. Like I'm gonna go get some Spree's cigarettes and start fighting. 13 year olds (laughs) all right let's uh let's do this cliff kingsbury cliff i was lucky enough to be in lubbock maybe for the greatest night in the history of the city when it comes to uh football there when they knocked off number one texas mccoy i've always had kind of a a weird love for the place because that night that weekend was unlike anything else and you know it's your school you come back you coach there for a bunch of years and then you know, look, it's a competitive business, you're fired. And I always kind of think of this because my dad will say this to me, like, I'm like you a bit in that, you know, I'm, I'm not married. I don't, you know, it's not like I'm coming home to some family. soon, you make these big life decisions or things happen, what was that like for you to kind of go through those emotions of, of losing the job at the place you would play?
1: Yeah, you, you know, I mean, being there and, and having the dreams of winning the big 12 and, and taking that program to the heights it hadn't been to, you know, that, that, that was the thought and that's all I'd ever focused on and, and, Put all my energy into and then all of a sudden that's done and, and you're like, just didn't work out. So, you know, really quickly, uh, you're down because you're going to miss those relationships and, and miss those players that, that you brought out to, to coach out there and, and be a part of that deal. And, and then you want to be a part of, of another team and, and you're looking quickly to, to, you know, do it somewhere else and then do it at a high level and get yourself back in the game. And, uh, so it moved fast after that. There were some opportunities out there. Um, I was obviously fortunate enough to, to land with Arizona and then kind of go from there.
0: How how hard do you think it was for Kirby to, to look at you? And and that was your AD, Kirby Hoka, who I you know talked to a bunch when he came on after the playoff committee stuff. How tough do you think that was for him?
1: Uh, I know it was tough. I mean, he we had a great relationship. He believed in me. Uh, I think he, he knows what I'm about and how I wanted to get that done and, and how much it meant to me. But it, it was time uh, we'd reached a point where we hadn't been able to kind of get it over the hump um and, you know through our efforts out there loved the staff loved everybody we had we just we didn't win enough games and everybody understood that and so I, I know it was it was hard on him but he did what he had to do and he's a tremendous athletic director you can see all the success of all the programs out there and um uh, i'm excited about you know what they can do with Tech football moving forward i think uh they have a good foundation and hopefully they can
0: build off of it right so that was november of that year and as we all know, especially here in L.A., you're OK, you know, look, it didn't work out head coach. Now go back to coordinator. And it was going to be USC, as we all know. And then very shortly after that, it was a head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. So as you just said, like all these things were happening. What was that moment like of, OK, you know, I'm a young guy. I don't even think you were 40 at the time and you're trying to navigate the next move. And seriously, looking back at the timeline and getting ready for this interview, I mean, this stuff had to have been happening so fast where maybe even surprised surprised you
1: it really was. It really was. There, there were a bunch of opportunities, um, out there, but I I knew immediately USC was, was a tremendous opportunity. I knew the type of weapons they had. I loved coach Helton. Loved what they're about, Loved what I thought they could be offensively. Um, so, you know, took that opportunity. And then these other things started happening all all across NFL, different opportunities, whether it was OC or or head coach. And, um, I'm fortunate enough to, to land this gig here. And, um, have just enjoyed the heck out of it. It's been
0: a, a real blessing. Does it, you know, USC fans wanted you in LA because it was going to help their team. I mean, it, you know, people are selfish. That's how this thing works. I was always a little surprised at people not understanding that like, look, yeah, head coach in the NFL versus the OC in the Pac-12, they're two different things. Were you surprised a little bit at the backlash of it all?
1: A, a little bit, but I think it's it's always expected anytime you know, there's change or people want to jump on a high horse about principle and things of that nature. And, and I understand that. I just, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up when you're talking about kind of a, a one year, see how it goes deal, as opposed to a four or five year deal, making a ton of money at the highest level possible. And it, it I understand the people that were upset, but for me, I had to do what was best for myself and, um, uh, our family. And, and so I chose the, the Cardinals.
0: So what was that interview process like? Because that was the off season where it felt like—I mean—and it—it and wasn't a, a, um, a theory here; it's real. Is that every owner, every GM, it looked like how can we get the next young offensive mind? You certainly fit that mold. What was that interview process like with them asking you questions for you to be or for them to figure out if you were going to be the guy to be the head coach?
1: Yeah, that was that was the rave, and, and kind of all still is. Um, you know, the Kyle Shanahan, Sean they Young, innovative play caller, young, innovative quarterback developer, um, and that's what a lot of people were looking for. And, and I, I kind of fit that that mold. Um, and the discussions were about, hey, let's bring in a veteran DC, and let's pair you up with that, and, and let's see what we can build. And, and um, I was fortunate enough to kind of come along in that in that time uh, frame, and, and obviously it worked out for me.
0: Did they ask you anything that surprised you during the interview?
1: Not, no, not really. Um, obviously, you know, the record was what it was at Texas Tech. I, I think they understood um, that they had a plan in place. Like I said, it wasn't like I was going to be coaching defense. Um, they they wanted to pair it up similar to, to, you know, the Ram situation. You have Sean doing his throw offensively. Wade was doing it defensively. And, and, you know, they, they had a great run out there. and um, That was a model that was hot at that time, fortunate for me. Um, it was and allowed me to, to get opportunity in the,
0: the nfl now you're a you're a laid-back guy um uh, I've, I've met you a few times and one of the things and, and and look i've i've always i've always liked you when i've met you so you know some people could listen to this and be like all right you're a little biased because the reaction was oh this guy couldn't win in lubbock and now he's going to be the head coach and then i would go okay well We know he was hired because of offense. They certainly scored enough points. Uh, Yes, the defense was not great, um, and there's definitely spots in the Big 12 where that can be said about a lot of programs, but when you coach Keenum, Manziel, Baker for a year, and you have Mahomes, Davis Webb, who was a third-rounder, when you have all of those guys... Did it was it ever? And I, I know it's like one of those things. Like, how much do I pay attention to all the stuff flying around? But were you surprised that there, it was almost this anti-young offensive mind backlash that you were grouped into when your resume, I believe, is a lot better than other offensive coaches that also get head coaching jobs?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of knew it was coming. Obviously, it, it. I don't know if it had ever been done that a college coach had been fired and then got uh NFL head coaching job. So. I, I, I don't let it affect me. I was just excited about the opportunity. I'm big on, hey, it doesn't matter how you get there. It's what you do when you get there. And, um, so that, that has been my focus. I think, um, I'm really proud of, of, like you said, what we've done offensively with the players I've been able to develop. And I've been very fortunate to be around some, some great players, including, you know, the quarterback we have now in Arizona. But, um, I, I, I try to keep all that other stuff outside of, of kind of my space and just work as, as hard as I can to be the best I can be and do the best job I can. But um, as far as backlash, things like that, you you know, you know what's coming when when you're in that situation But you just try to stay above it and and do what you got to do.
0: Yeah. I always, I always love whenever the public figure does something and then you just want to be like, so let me just get this straight. Like all of you guys would have turned down one of the 32 jobs.
1: (laughs) 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 It's almost too easy of an argument at that point, you know? So you kind of just, just let it go. But it, it is what it is. I, I, I understand it. I understand it. In this day and age, that people like to kind of jump on that type of of platform and that type of um, high high horse, if you will, but it it uh, we moved on from it.
0: Right now, you have you have okay. So you're you're in charge of this team now, and again, you have a front office, and you know people. It's it's amazing. Lesson the Kyler Murray quote, right? When you're recruiting him you you rave about him and then you're like oh man like <laughs> maybe i should just never say anything so that it can't be spun back around but was kyler always the guy for you before you took them number uh, before you took him number one uh
1: you know in my mind in perfect world it was but i i knew why i was brought in i mean they they had their top 10 pick and josh uh tremendous talent great skill set you know got banged around his first year behind you know kind of a tough offensive line. That situation with different play callers all these things so they had brought me in with the idea of developing josh and improving the offense and i knew that and that's what i was going about doing and as the draft process went on and steve and michael got to start taking a look and digging into what Kyler's is all about and then how unique of a skill set he has i, I it started to go that way and uh, picked up steam and, and then you know we get to a point where we just think This move is is the move that has to be made for the Arizona Cardinals. You you don't get a shot at many guys like this, and and he has a chance to kind of change the entire organization if
0: it goes the way we hope it will. Can we go back to that first game then? Because you know we're all watching, and we want to watch the number one pick. (laughs) We want to see your offense, and you're down 17-3 at the half. What was going through your head then?
1: Yeah, I literally, I, I'm not exaggerating. I was thinking, I can't believe I just bought that house. Like, I'm, I'm going to be here two games and they're going to fire me. This is because it was as bad as I'd ever seen. I mean, we couldn't get a yard and we couldn't complete a pass and every pass was knocked down. And I told everybody, well, he doesn't have passes bad as down. You know, it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't matter. these five, five, ten. 10, he, he can manage them. So yeah, that was about the highest anxiety I've ever had on the sideline. Just because it, it truly anything we try to do was just complete disaster. But. Luckily, the second half got better, and, and we were able to come back and, and have a decent showing. But yeah, that was that was a rough 30 minutes, and I, I just kept thinking about poor Steve up there in the press box with the owner, just probably wanted to jump off the balcony. But uh,
0: luckily, it it worked out. So you really had these thoughts as you're like getting ready to get ready for the next offensive series, going, I should have rented. Like this actually creeps I, into your I, head. I remember
1: thinking, like, I cannot believe I spend that much on a house. Like, um on this deal because this is going to be a short stay and uh, I don't know what what we're going to do because I mean it was just like a disaster but luckily we fought through it and got better as it went still a long ways to go but I think we're on the right track.
0: Yeah, the greatest tie maybe in in your personal career so uh, Bob you'll you'll always know.
1: (laughs) I'll take it all day long no doubt.
0: Now you're a players coach everything I've read about it is you know, you. I don't know if it's if it's just your personality or if it's, you know, the fact that you did play and you know a cup of coffee in the NFL and all that kind of stuff. Um, what do you think is important as far as managing the emotions of fifty plus guys for an entire season and, and trying to make sure that you get through to all of them because that's going to be the most challenging thing when it talk when it comes to those numbers. Like, not everybody's buttons get pushed the same exact way. So, how have you been able to kind of develop this thing where it feels like this roster already respects you? Despite the fact this was your first year,
1: yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, you, you show them you know what you're talking about. If, if they know that that you can help them on that level, that you know expertise in, in you know offense or, or play calling can help them be successful, then then that gives you a lot of street cred. And then work ethic's huge. I think if they know you're you're putting it in, um, getting there before they understand that after, and, and you're all about you know taking this organization. And their talents as far as they'll go, I think that goes a long way. And I, I try to get to know the, the player on an individual basis. Um, I'm big on each guy. has have a story. Each guy likes to be coached a certain way. Hey, how do we, like you said, how do we reach them? How do we press their buttons? And, um, I take a lot of pride in that. But um, you mentioned earlier I'm a single guy. I can spend a lot of time at the office. I can spend a lot of time getting to know those guys, talking to them, taking them to dinner, different, different things that, that maybe some guys who have families or different things like that aren't, aren't able to do with their time.
0: Do you, uh, do you, did they ask you to throw or are you afraid to next to Kyler?
1: <laughs> I, he, he makes me look bad. I still throw, but the only one that kind of has the balls that talk trash is Fitz. He always makes fun of my throwing motion, but yeah, I don't, I don't like throwing next to Kyler. He, he's pretty freaky with, with the arm talent, but I'll get in there, um, swing around every now and then, but it not doesn't, doesn't look too good anymore.
0: Will you work out with them or do you wait until they're gone?
1: I'm early i'm early i'm I'm before they get in there. I make sure they know I'm in there before they get in there too but i don't I don't want to. I'm all about just aesthetics at this point there's zero functionality in my workouts, so it's kind of uh it's pretty weak comparatively speaking to what they're doing.
0: Right, but I think anybody, you know, you hit forty recently, so it's just if I feel good, shirts off forty, then you know, mission accomplished. I think is really everybody's everybody's talking about. I'm hanging in there,
1: you know, a single guys, man, you're still working it. You got to do what you got to do.
0: Differentiation, yeah, That's what you, it is. You, you poor thing. I have so much sympathy for you. Uh, <laughs> so how. I could ask the simple question and go, like, how much is Fitz buying in set the tone for us in the locker room? Because that's everything I've read, everything I've heard. Is there anything specific where you and Larry Fitzgerald early on had a conversation where it was him knowing how important his role was going to be for everybody else to buy in?
1: Uh, I think once he saw it come to fruition, you know, I, I made the mistake of not really executing our offense the way I wanted to run in preseason, I wanted this element surprise. we were going to jump out week one and, you know, it was going to just wow everybody. And it, it obviously backfired in that regard. So it took about the first month to for everybody to get a feel for it. And and even as a coaching staff, hey, what are we good at? What can we maximize personnel-wise? Uh, and I think once Sits, you know, saw that, he saw how talented the quarterback can be and, and what this can be in a short period of time. I think that's when, you, you really saw the light turn on it. And, and is going to give you everything he's got, whether he believed in it or not. He was going to bust his ass, show up every day, give you everything he's got. That, That's who he is as a pro. But I think he really started to have fun enjoying our offense, how we install, how we practice. And, and it definitely helped when, when a guy like that is, is all in.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about, uh, about Kyler here. And that is, you know, it's, it's a rookie it's somebody that you want to make it like I always have this joke we've gone back years like when the college coordinator gets fired the next guy comes in and says oh we're going to start chucking it down the field like nobody ever goes hey we want to really want to dial this back like no d coordinator ever takes over and it's like yeah I want to be less aggressive but it's still, you know, it's still a first-year guy processing NFL defenses, and really how fast all this stuff is moving is, is kind of its own topic. But how do you balance the? I want to make sure Kyler's one hundred percent comfortable with the game plan, but also pushing him so that he's grown through those first sixteen games.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We, we knew we wanted to have success with him early, and then try to build up confidence and things of that made Sure. So early on in the season, it was um, more spread sets. Things, things he was accustomed to, things he liked. Um, and then we were able, as the season went on, he got more comfortable to put different things in, in and, and kind of expand the playbook. And, and like I said earlier, just figure out who we were. I and mean, we were better with multiple tight ends. We were better in different sets uh, than what we started as. But I, I'm big on week in, week out. i, I Give kind of a game plan. I give him plays throughout the, the practice, and hey, if you don't like him, we're getting him out. So I don't want to run anything that he isn't absolutely in love with, because I've been doing this long enough that if the quarterback doesn't like it at all, it's not going to work. And I could think it's the greatest play of all time, but if he's not feeling it, it's not going to work. So I, I want things in that that he likes, and as the season went on, our communication got a lot better, and I feel like by the end we were really you know tailoring it to him and, and operating at a high level.
0: When I first saw him at AM, I was like, oh my God. I remember Avery Johnson, you know, played with the Spurs, head coach of Alabama's basketball yeah. team. Like Avery and I would talk every now and then because he was working at ESPN and he was telling me about Kyler. Like he's like, You gotta, you gotta see this guy. And the first time he ever took off and ran, I went, Okay, that's that's like a different gear. I'm telling you, like Lamar was different in a way that made people miss where you're standing in front of him and he would make you miss. But Kyler's elusiveness, his zero to sixty or whatever it is, how how tempting is it to want to do that more, but also knowing that you know eventually that stuff catches up to you, even though it feels like no one ever gets a clean hit on him because it's such an unbelievable weapon and talent. Like I really think he's that special, but that's going to be something you you're constantly trying to figure out, like the long plan for that part of his game.
1: There's no doubt. There's that fine line, and he he does have that acceleration, and he's the quickest guy on the field, which is so rare at that, at that position. But when he takes off, it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen, and that that combination of that um ability with the throwing ability when you're talking quick release, accuracy, touch, velocity, and all the things he can do is just, is just unique and, and it, it's a combination that, that can really take him to, to high heights, if you will, um, as he continues to de- develop and, and become accustomed to, to the NFL game. But we're always going to walk that fine line of, hey, you've been small your entire life, you know how to protect yourself, but let, let's, but to get what we can get and, and make sure we always find the solid spot when the play is over.
0: Now, the best way to describe the spread, and I'll, I'll admit, you know, look, I did not play the position. I don't understand things that you guys see. I'm not watching it with somebody who's been coached their whole life. I'm not watching the All-22. You know, a lot of the NFL analysis I think is, is some kind of silly from, from us because we don't even know if like a corner got beat or if it was the safety that screwed things up. But when I first seen, you know, the spread taken over, college football going back 10 plus years it was described as pasta like there's there's pasta but there's a million different versions of it so is there any way of like explaining sort of on the surface level for those that don't understand it as deeply as like what you're doing versus what Sean's doing versus what Zach's doing or what LaFleur's doing in that you all get lumped together as if you're running the exact same playbook and there are different versions of the Shanahan tree that I think are connected but then you eventually kind of like see the game the way you individually see the game. Can you help explain like what some of those differences and similarities are? The way you try to put together an offense.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to, to do because everybody does take you know their tree they came from and expand upon it and do different things, and, and it's it's a league of of you know imitation. And every week I look at all, try and look at all thirty two offenses on Monday and fly through them and figure out, hey, what can we install that people are doing out there, and what can we implement. Um, that looks good on tape this week. So it, it's always evolving. It's always changing. So I, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. I do know that everybody takes it from, from wherever they learned it from and, and they put their own spin on it and add their own things. Uh, I'd say Sean and, and, you know, Kyle are at the, the cutting edge of that. I mean, I watch them week in, week out. And I'm, I'm baffled of the things they can get done, um, in their play calls and the shifts and motions and the quicks and all the things they do. Um, and you can see how, how it's affected the league, I man. Those guys are on the Super Bowl back back-to-back and, um, they got to roll them. They've definitely taken what they learned at different places and expanded upon it.
0: Yeah. I was really excited about that question, but it's, it's impossible to answer it in this format
1: where, you know, even if you want <laughs> oh, right. you know I, I mean? wish I, I wish I, I had more for you, but I, I have no, no clue how to even approach that one.
0: Yeah. All right. All right. Look, I, I, I gave it a shot there. Okay. How about, how about this? Has this offensive explosion, has it made it easier to go, well, you know, I don't need a top 10 quarterback. Like, give me, give me like a top 15 guy and I'm going to figure out a way to get some numbers, which has definitely been said about some guys. But I'm not going to ask you to comment about other teams, quarterbacks, whether or not they're overrated. Uh, Has it made it easier to kind of just plug somebody in or has it actually made it harder to evaluate who's actually really good or even average because everybody's putting up these kinds of numbers?
1: Yeah, I I think it 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 blurs the lines a little bit. Uh, You still want that dominant player at that position. I think you see that when you have a guy like Lamar winning MVP. You have a guy like Patrick winning Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP. I mean, those are those are when you have the the freaks at that position in this style offense. That's when you take it to the whole other level. So you still want that dominant player. But but you're you're right. I mean, there's there's some great offensive lines that are. Um, you know, plugging some guys in that that are putting up big numbers and playing at a super high level, and um, you know, you know, can win to a certain level, but it, it it definitely blurs the lines in evaluation at times. But you know, when you see you know the Russells and the Lamars and the Patricks, and those guys can take that type of offense to a whole different stratosphere.
0: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay, um, speaking of Mahomes, how proud are you? of just watching what this guy is, where it's not insane when we think, hey, in 10 years, are we going to think this is the guy that's been the best ever to play the position? Like, that's not even a stupid statement, and it would be om- almost any other, you know, hey, a two-year guy in, oh, yeah, 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 he might be the best ever. Like, how proud are you of this guy knowing you had him and love it?
1: Yeah, incredibly proud. And, and really, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's, it's how he's handled it all. Like, I knew he was a freak talent-wise. I knew he was a phenomenal player. I thought a lot of the stuff he did in college, even a lot of people didn't see it, I don't think, would, would translate just because it was so freaky. And I watched him play against LSU on these top teams and throw for 400, 500 yards kind of by himself at times. And, uh, so I, I felt like he had a good chance to translate early when he went to that situation with Andy, you know, going from 27 to 10. So he ended up on a really good team. They surrounded him with great players. I thought that he could play at a high level. I, I don't know if anybody could have expected, you know, this, what he's done. Um, so far, but you, you watch how he handles it all. You watch how his teammates react to him. The humility always deferring you know, to teammates and coaching staff and things of that nature. It's just been awesome, and that's why I, I don't see it slowing down. I, mean, I think he's he's got the goods. He's a brilliant football mind on top of it. He's going to have a heck of a run there.
0: Uh, what's your best Mahomes story? Because I, I remember asking somebody about it, one of our writers here, Kevin Clark, who was like, no, the GM of the Chiefs honestly was saying, like, this is the best player I've ever seen. And he still was behind Alex right. Smith at that point. What's your favorite kind of hanging out with the guys when when people are just bugging you about Mahomes stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the very first scrimmage we ever had in Lubbock, he threw five touchdowns, and, and he didn't have a clue what the plays were or anything. He was just running around making plays, and we knew he was special. His, his high school coach would tell me all the time, you know, I thought I was kind of hot stuff. I'd worked with Johnny and had Case and had Baker and his high school coach would tell me, he's like, yeah, I know he's coaching good ones, but you've never had anything like this. And I'm like, all right, you know, what do you know? You know, this type deal. But then you'd watch him basketball. He'd drop 30 on somebody. You watch him baseball. He'd pitch. He'd hit home runs. He'd do it all. You'd watch him in football. I went to his one high school game, um, that I was allowed to come to and he had seven touchdowns. Um, I think it was like the first three quarters and it's just like, he's just a dominant, dominant athlete at whatever he does. Uh, but I think just, just the fact that a high school coach like really and truly saw all this and knew that this was all coming for anybody else has always has always been cool.
0: And you guys are probably rolling your eyes a little bit only because you've heard this from every single high no school question. coach. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean I can't tell you how many times we've heard the next West Walker and the next this and the next that. And, you know, he said it as, as it was, you know, plain as day, like, I know you have coached some pretty good ones, coach, but you've never seen anything like this and sure enough he was spot on because the the, the kid can do things that that nobody can do and it's it's uh it's just
0: been fun to watch it really is and i uh i you know i would catch your games depending on you know the cycle of the saturday schedule and the one thing like that i i watched and when i was hearing like different teams talk about him and again nobody thought it was even going to be this um I was always like, man, he throws some bombs just kind of up into the air and just like, let's see what happens. And he did it early in some games. And that was the kind of thing I was like, how is he ever, like how would any coach like trust this guy to do that kind of stuff? But the crazy thing is like that it did, it did work way more than I thought that it would. And then he's cleaned up that part of it. Like there's never, every throw seems like there's a purpose. Every throw seems like it's the right read. And yeah, you know, we can argue about a pick here or there, but for the most part, that is not like, the, the idea that he's a bad decision maker would be insane now when at times I thought maybe he was a little too risky, but maybe that was also because the defense wasn't exactly locked up down then. And he was like, look, I just got to get the ball down the field.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he, he's, he's progressed tremendously, you know, on and off the field. You see how he himself and his teammates, but he, he, he will always be the guy who's going to push the limitations on taking shots. And, and that's why, you know, everybody loves him because you never know what type of throw you're going to see. And, and the play is never over with him either. I mean, he keeps his eyes down to him. Those guys hanging off of him. And he's able to push the ball 60 yards down the field and just do do things that, that normal quarterbacks can't do. All
0: right. I'm going to uh, end with with a couple more here um, just because I know that you originally were a six round pick of the Pats in 03. Do you have a and I like asking this cuz I I for whatever reason I've worked with a bunch of guys that like either were long-term backups or were up for a couple years. A lot of guys blame the system, <laughs> they'll blame the coordinator um, and you know every now and then a guy will be like I just look I just wasn't good enough. When was the first like wake up call moment where you may have been talking to somebody that you were close to going I may not be a long-term NFL quarterback. <laughs>
1: I mean I think <laughs> I honestly think the first like time I was ever around Tom and you watch, this is how like you what was it, four or three, I think. Oh,
0: three, you were three a rookie. Four. You were a rookie in 03. Yeah. And he, he,
1: his first year was 01. So 01, 02, it was like his third or fourth year, but his mastery of like the protections, what he was doing at the line of scrimmage, even then, and the accuracy with the throws and the timing, I was like, dude, I'm never going to catch this guy. <laughs> like that was the thought. I mean, it was that good and it was that on spot and it was like you weren't going to outwork if he was there before you're going to get there you're stand there later than you're, you're going to stay and then the work ethic in the weight room on the practice field the way he communicated with people it was just like I'd never seen anything like and I thought I worked hard coming in and I think honestly just seeing him I'm, I'm like this This, I mean I didn't know at the time he going to be the greatest ever but still you're like yeah I'm, I'm going to have a hard time catching this dude um, because it was it was at that elite of a le- level and it's obvious from day one when you're around that guy
0: so, did you actually like think maybe on your way up to Foxborough, where you're like, okay, look, I was drafted late. He was drafted late. Like, let's see what this guy's get. Like, did, was there a 1% part of you that was thinking, I may be the starting quarterback for the Patriots in a couple of years if this goes my way? <laughs> I mean, I
1: think, I mean, we're all confident coming out, you know? I mean, you you, you got to be to play that position. But um, I, I don't think anybody really realizes it, what he is or um, the impact he has on that organization until you're in it and you see it. I mean,
0: it's, it's, it's really, really special. Is it important to you that you actually got into a game with the Jets and you threw a couple of passes? Does it matter? No,
1: <laughs> no. no I, I, you know, I, I could have taken my my actual playing career more serious. Um, I, I had a lot of fun, put it that way, and I learned a lot. And and when I had an opportunity to become a coach, because the NFL didn't work out, I always wanted to make sure I never kind of had any regrets on, you know, working my tail off and doing everything I could do to put myself in positions to be successful, but uh, I wanted to kind of live that that Tom Brady life without actually doing anything on the field, and uh, so I definitely didn't maximize myself as a
0: player. So you don't have that Jets jersey from 05 framed in your office? <laughs>
1: I actually, it was one completion, and I, if it was, if they had reviewed, it wouldn't have been a completion.
0: So <laughs> hey. that was that,
1: that. That was that was the extent of it. And two quarterbacks had to get hurt for me to go in. It was at the end. It was yeah. It wasn't like any sort of shining moment, but I'll take the one completion.
0: Yeah, that's right. One for two. Um, hey, I know yeah. it's a five ten in one year, but I, I really think with everything going up to it in this thing and then now you know look the stakes have been raised i watch your games quite a bit I, I i think you're kind of sneaky competitive even though i think a lot of the games in the nfl are closer you know when people are like oh we had all these one score games sometimes that can be a little overstated but it, it does it sounds weird to say hey five ten and one this first year is a success but i think everything going into it and kyler looking like he's going to be a guy for a long time uh i'm sure you guys feel good about it and are enthused and out in indy and, and ready to get this thing going for the next year so um i you know can't thank you enough for the time man of course. I appreciate you having me. Okay. I hope people enjoyed that. And I know um, that they didn't have a great record this year, but I, I had known that story about how that first game and they're down 17, three is like, I'm screwed. And he extended it a little bit more, but I'd, I'd heard uh, about that. And I appreciate him sharing that stuff because I think a lot of people would think that that'd be weak to share uh, a moment of self doubt. I'm going to share one with you. Cause I'm not sure this NBA thing is going to be accustomed to the standard that i i usually deliver for you so let's uh just go ahead and start firing off some stuff last night tails from the couch it might just be tails standing next to the couch i'm watching the heat i'm watching duncan robinson i go this freaking guy you know he's doing it again let's run through some october numbers uh through what is now february minutes per game per month october 20 November 27, December 30, January 31, February 34 minutes a game now for Duncan Robinson, who had 15 points in the first half. Field goal attempts, six and a half, eight and a half, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 per this month. Three point attempts, four and a half, seven, eight, nine, ten threes 10 threes per game now in February. And the three point percentages. Well, 44, 42, 50, 40, and 42%. So as the volume has gone up, he's basically stayed in that 40 range uh, with that one big month there in December. Points per game, 9, 11, 14, 12, and 16. And as I put together this nice little Duncan Robinson thing, because the Heat deal with Iguodala, and now Butler's missed two games because of a personal reason deal, I've looked at the Heat where I go, all right, what's going on with this team? Because they had lost five of six, and as I put this whole thing together, Duncan Robinson scored zero points in the second half. Boom awesome. Thank you, Duncan. After I'd written down all these really great notes about your improvement from month to month, uh, you went over, And a Heat team that was up by, what, 19? I think 19 was their biggest lead against Cleveland. And Kevin Porter went off. Uh, Darius Garland had a couple huge plays late. Um, What they did with Sexton was a little hot. I think they ended up, I'm going to go ahead and do this on the fly here, but he was not part of the closing group. It was Thompson, Love, Porter, Garland and Larry Nance Jr. And um, you know, a little shout out to Larry Nance Jr. because he played well again. But yeah, there was there was moments there where Sexton was not out there as that closing group, and Cleveland came back and won this game in overtime. You know what Sexton did do, though? And this is always like the little bit of the little part of the loss in your game that gets hidden that nobody ever sees unless you're watching a game, is Sexton allowed none to get a put back offensive rebound to basically send this thing to overtime and it was bad like you got to play just like hockey play the man not the puck when you're boxing out or when you're trying to get a defensive rebound and rebounding in general but more defensively on that side of it find the man box him out and then you know somebody else like take care of your man find somebody to box out don't just look at the freaking ball and so many of these dudes just do it all the time now i mean i watch lou williams on back cuts and we all like lou williams right like lou williams is the the new age microwave vinnie johnson shout out for you young kids out there look him up uh, isaiah thomas the other day talking about jordan on first take and saying, you know jordan had scotty i didn't have anybody i don't know man that seems a little dismissive of the microwave and joe dumars and a front line that was perfectly good at accepting their role but anyway i'm not doing isaiah thomas uh rant hero although i think zeke is one of the most underrated players in nba history so back to colin sexton in that moment lou williams as well, like Lou Williams is classic for that, where he's like, I can't be bothered to pay attention to somebody on the defensive end. And it's not just bad defense. It's losing somebody in a baseline cut behind you because you just stopped paying attention to Like you can't not look at your man when you're set up where it's ball you man. And you just, you no. Know, it's I get that you're a pro. I get that it's 82 games. I get it's all these moments. But when it's the very end of a one possession game, and you don't find somebody to box out. That's how you can lose games. And then the internet will argue about how amazing you are if you drop 30 points, not realizing like, you know, who never gets back on defense, you know, who never picks up their man defensively, you know, who always gets beat on back cuts, you know, who always trying to jumps into passing lanes and screws up, you know, who can't throw in an entry pass. Like none of this stuff is ever tracked unless you watch. And that's the difference between fake numbers and, you know, great numbers that are fake on losing teams and numbers that are good but also lead to winning like lebron has somehow become underrated in all this stuff because that freaking guy for whatever you want to think and whatever you want to knock him on and there are certain things that i've been critical about but usually it's just like a quote here or there understanding that hey you know who everybody wins with every time he shows up now for like a decade and a half like wins games it's lebron and by the way his real plus minus on the year And I was digging into some of these numbers. Yes, real plus minus uh, can be misleading. Plus minus can be weird. It can definitely be totally irrelevant in just one game. Sometimes it can be relevant. But here's what I know about plus minus is that if you are way at the top, you're probably really good. And if you're at the very, very bottom out of 490 players that qualify, it means you're probably not that good or it means you've played so few minutes. But again, it's kind of the qualifying thing because they track this whole thing. LeBron is so far ahead of everybody else right now in real plus minus, it's a joke. He's like three points ahead of Giannis. Giannis is second, Kawhi Leonard is third, James Harden is four. It's like, man, those guys sound like they're all really good players. LeBron's good, Giannis is good, Kawhi's good, Harden's good. Maybe three top five and Harden. I'd put him kind of on the verge of five or six, maybe, uh, depending on what you want to do with Steph here and Durant, you know, and those guys not playing, do they count right now? Do they not count? Uh, I know that would turn into, I'm going to ban myself, I think, from talking about the Rockets and Kyrie Irving. That's just a side note. I'm going to present that to Bill as well as a potential new rule. But Jason Tatum is fifth. So those real plus minus, LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, Harden, and this Jason Tatum guy behind him is Jokic. And then it starts to get a little weird because it's Dennis Schroeder, Millsap, Terrence Davis. Uh, And you're like, wait a minute, what? Is Terrence Davis the ninth best player in the league? Well, if Paul Millsap is eighth, maybe. But the top five, top six, those all feel like real names. And again, it's not definitive. Uh, when you start going through some more of this stuff, I was looking at like defensive plus minus. D'Angelo Russell at a 490 is 482. Uh, Minnesota still going to be bad, folks. I'm sorry. They're just going to get along better, I guess. And Carl Anthony Towns is 486. Um, Bradley Beal, who went off again. 50-plus in his last two games. That game against Milwaukee was incredible, and I'm going to get to Milwaukee here in a second. Uh, Beal goes nuts, and I thought it was like really competitive, I-need-to-carry-my-team type of stuff. Uh, I just think some guys' 30-point games are different than others, and speaking of, Trey Young out of 490 players that qualify for defensive plus-minus, Trey Young is not only 490 out of 490, he's almost a point worse defensively than Beal is, who's at 488. So, um, if that sounds like a pro beal anti-tray thing, maybe. But uh, you know, again, you, you can resist some of these numbers, and I, I'm not gonna scream at you about it, but there's some really interesting stuff that that's out there if you want to look it up. Okay, speaking of the Bucks, who hold on to beat Washington in another overtime game. Last night was kind of sneaky entertaining. Giannis fouls out and Chris Middleton goes off. Go off king. I think is what the kids say. Or do they say, they usually say go off queen more, right, Kyle? Uh, I got no comment because I really don't know. All right. Appreciate your help on today's pod. Sorry, man. No, that's all right. Chris Middleton went for 40 last night, 15 to 28 overall, and eight free throws. The overall numbers here are always good for Middleton. And Middleton gets lumped in to the, okay, I know what you are, but what are you really deal? Here's what he is right now. I mean, this is at least worth bringing up. By the way, Giannis is the only Milwaukee Buck who plays over 30 minutes a game. Middleton's at 29.9. So let me double check that for you. I don't want you, you know, hanging out with the bank teller going, I'll take hundreds. And did you know that Chris Middleton um, is is under 30 minutes a game? Yeah, Giannis at 30.7 minutes. So not even 31 minutes for Giannis. So when you look at their minute dispersal, Middleton, 29.9. Bledsoe, 27.2. I thought Bledsoe was actually pretty good last night. Brooke Lopez, who I'm going to get to my Brooke Lopez stuff here, 27 minutes. Wesley Matthews, 25 minutes. DiFincenzo did not expect that at 23 minutes. George Hill, 21 minutes, despite incredible shooting has not started in a game. Uh, George Hill is still at 50% threes, only three attempts per. But you get my point here, is that Bud does an absolutely amazing job for a team that's already clinched a playoff spot. These guys don't play uh, an insane amount of minutes. So now, if you look at Middleton's game log, um, he has he's at 25 this month. He's 25 and 8 and 5. He's putting up really good numbers. Uh, these numbers for his, his season now are really arguably his career best, 21 per game six boards, four assists, 44% from three. But the problem for him is the postseason that he had uh, last year. And that's it. 15 games, he shot 42 and 44%, but he averaged 17, six and four. The numbers are just down a little bit. And the free throw numbers where he's actually, um, not, not like for, for a guy that that puts it up, you know, he, he takes some shots, uh, I know that sounded really stupid, but 15 a game, like, you, you, okay, we know he's not like an A1, we know he's not like the premier scorer on all this thing, but he showed that last night against the Wizards team, whatever, we know they're terrible defensively, but that's if you're a Bucks fan, you're like, how come you guys don't respect Middleton more, how come you don't, re-? maybe you're right, maybe he isn't respected enough, and there's probably some truth to that, but I think it's kind of like, a, hey, you guys are up 2-0 on Toronto, and he didn't score as many points as we needed him to, and that may not seem cool, but Uh, that's just kind of the way the whole thing works. Yeah, when they were up game one, 11 points, game two, 12 points, and then four straight losses to Toronto, nine points, 30 in a blowout loss, six points in game five, and then 14 points uh, in game six. So that's why. That's why that happens to him. Uh, And he was never 20 points per game in any of the series when they crushed Detroit and then knocked out Boston in just five games. This leads to my Brooke Lopez deal. Now, Brooke Lopez's whole thing is pretty fascinating. We know he was the 10th pick in the draft. Um, We know that he's somebody who was supposed to maybe be the one on the Brooklyn Nets. But when we watched him, we went, okay, he he gets to take a majority of the shots, but he sets up really far from the post, which is outdated thinking now. Because now you're like, well, who cares? Who cares if he doesn't play in the post, right? He didn't rebound enough for somebody who's seven feet. And granted, again, it was uh, officially New Jersey in 2008 when he was drafted. 10th overall pick. He was 20 and six. He actually had eight rebounds a game in his first, in his rookie year when he played 82 games. And then the numbers kind of went down. Like he had, well, he only played five games his four season in, so we're not going to hold that against him. 20, you know. 20 and 10 is what you want. You were getting like 20 and six. And again, he was setting up really far away and it was pissing everybody off. And he did actually have decent free throw numbers. Here's the point. So he goes through Brooklyn. He's done at 28 in Brooklyn. And that last season, he scored 21. He goes to the Lakers. His minutes are now 23 a game, 23 minutes a game. Scores only 13 points, four rebounds. And LA, it was like this afterthought. Like, oh, Brooke Lopez is out of here. Yeah, like, who cares? Not a big deal. He goes to Milwaukee for just over $3 million. So think about this. Lopez, in 18, signs for the biannual exception at 30 years old for $3.4 million. This is a league where multiple teams fought over the right to give Alan Crabb $70 million. And Brook freaking Lopez gets three, not even $3.5 million as an exception signing with the Lakers. Or excuse me, uh, with Milwaukee after the Lakers. So that one year, the 29-year season for him, was so bad perception-wise around the league when it still wasn't terrible. Let me just double check the advanced stuff here. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great for a big to be 16 and a half PR. That's not great. And other stuff, he wasn't playing enough minutes to give you like big time win shares or any of that. But he was outstanding last season for Milwaukee. And then that leads to a four years and 52 million deal. What this is, is this is an absolute lesson in you're still a lottery pick. We kind of run the offense through you. We don't really like it. You're out of here. Lakers, we don't really know what you are. And the the pages turned way too quick on what Lopez could be because now he is a modern day five. And yes, the shooting numbers are not great for this argument right now, but I don't think he's going to be living in the 20s from three. When you watch him, he's so active everywhere. Like it's just a pain in the ass to play against Brooke Lopez or even his brother. Like they're just going to make it harder on you. And they stretch everything out, which is perfect uh, to go alongside Giannis. And he defensively, I'm not telling you he's like, look, Hassan Whiteside is as phony a defensive player of the year candidate as there is, as anybody could even suggest. But Lopez, well, again, I'm not suggesting for that. He's he's going to make the right read on things. He's actually going to try and he's going to compete. Like this stuff is going to matter. And by the way, like, by all accounts, if you have Brook Lopez on your team, he's never going to be a problem. So it's all of these things, accepting the role, identifying exactly what your need is, being more of a modern big that we weren't ready for when he was drafted over 10 years ago. Brook Lopez is a lesson in reclamation in the NBA. It really is. Now, I'm not saying go out and trade for Emmanuel Mudiay and go, what other top picks are there? You know, the Ben McLemore story with Houston is nice, but every Houston Rocket, I give like a 25% bump in chances to actually be productive because of what they do down there. But it is, it is something like if you were working for a team, you go, okay, how, how far, like how big of a market misread was it for Brooke Lopez to actually in one year only be able to get three and a half million dollars just because he was coming off of not being what everybody wanted him to be, as opposed to, is there a different role for this guy where he can find out a way to fit in? And that is my Brooke Lopez content. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review to the Rosillo podcast on the Ringer Network. Uh, we have a Rewatchables coming out too, where I first, it wasn't even, it was a first Watchables for me, uh, Vision Quest. That should be out, I think, this week, right, Kyle? That was a stupid question. There's no way you know the answer to that. Never mind. <laughs> I retract that. And make sure Thursday, it's going to be an AM drop for this one, Thursday, a 90-minute conversation with Craig Kilborn, And uh, we, we hit on everything throughout his life and career. Well, we don't get into like family reunions or anything like that, but we, we, uh, we go pretty deep on it. So I'm really uh, excited about that. It goes all over the place. It's a lot of fun. So thanks for listening as always. And we will talk to you Thursday.